Okay, we're beginning our second session of the morning on the tabernacle. And as advertised, I'll put up a couple things here. Uh, what you see, thinking7, remember that number 7.com? Uh, you can even spell it out, and it will still work. That's a website. It has, it, one of the articles has to do with the tabernacle. And, uh, but it has different teachings on it. If you want to share it with somebody, that's our website. Down below, you see my personal email. Amos at sheepfood.com, like feeding sheep, okay, uh, Amos at sheepfood.com. If you want to be on our monthly email teaching letter, we always send out a teaching every month, sometimes an outline of a subject, sometimes a teaching as the Lord leads. If you'd like to be on that, all you have to do is take that email and just send me, just say, put me on the list. That's all you have to say. You don't have to write an epistle, but if you want to write one, that's okay. It's okay. But you can just simply say, put me on the list, and you'll be on our December mailing. When I get home, I'll be mailing out the December one. Uh, this will be our 36th issue, but uh, it's a monthly teaching. If you'd like to be on it, just write Amos at sheepfood.com and say, put me on the list, and you'll be on it. Lord. Okay. Back to the tabernacle. And as we heard, we're starting out here in the courtyard. And uh, there's two pieces of furniture here. There's the brazen altar, the bronze altar of sacrifice, of burning sacrifices, of blood applied. And there's a laver for water cleansing for the priest. Outside, as we mentioned at the close of our last session, brothers and sisters, it is a place of cleansing. God starts with cleansing. Now, there are two types of cleansing, not only in the tabernacle, but in our culture. Sometimes the word cleansing has to do with removing the violations from a record book. Somebody says, uh, I want to see your record, you know, before I give you this job. I want to make sure your record is clean. What do they mean? I want to make sure you're not guilty of any crimes that are out there. We want to make sure you have a clean record. When we come to the brazen altar of sacrifice, that's going to be the use of the word cleansing. As I quoted in the last section, on the Day of Atonement, uh, Leviticus 16.30, the priest shall make an atonement for you to cleanse you from all your sins, that ye may be clean from all your sins before the Lord. That means to have a record book, there's no outstanding violations to be charged with. All sins are erased. Tremendous. That's what's going to happen first. That's going to be the first piece of furniture. But there'll be a second piece out there that also has to do with cleansing, but not, not of your sins, cleansing of the daily germs and sandy dirt they'd pick up and they'd, get, they'd wash it off. And it's a cleansing that would make the priest presentable to not only offer burnt offerings to the Lord, but to go inside the sanctuary and accomplish the service of God and make them presentable. There's a cleansing that makes one presentable. has nothing to do with your record book. has everything to do with presentable. So you have a special guest coming over for dinner, the preacher and his wife. And you tell your children, you say, children, you've got to wash up. You can't come to the table looking like vagabonds. And you want them to cleanse, to wash themselves in water so you'll be presentable for the occasion. You go for a big job interview. You jump in the shower first, I would think, because you want to be presentable for the occasion. So sometimes cleansing means to remove the offenses from your record book, and sometimes it means to make you presentable for the occasion. In the Word of God, there will be a cleansing that cleans you from your sins. There will be a cleansing by water, not by blood, 
the laver, that makes you presentable for the occasion, such as Psalm 119, verse 9. Wherewithal shall a young man cleanse his way, his lifestyle, not his sins. Wherewithal shall a young man cleanse his way by taking heed thereto according to thy word. And so there's a cleansing of sin and there's a cleansing of habitual lifestyle. The gospel does both. And they're pictured in the parable of the tabernacle that cleansing comes first. Now there's an order here. So I'd like you to go for a minute to Exodus chapter 40. The book of Exodus chapter 40. Exodus chapter 40, and uh, just breaking here on the order, God's telling Moses how to set up the tabernacle. All the pieces are done, but they're kind of like in a stack. What do I do with them? God says it's going to be an order. You look, for example, Exodus chapter 40, and I'll just read verse 4 for a minute. Exodus 40 and verse 4. And thou shalt bring in the table and set in order the things that are to be set in order upon it, and thou shalt bring in the candlestick and light the lamps thereof, etc. There is an order. They just can't stay there as a stack of stuff. There's an order of approaching God. And as we go down in that order here, you look here, if you would, at verse 6. Verse 6. And thou shalt set the altar of the burnt offering before the door of the tabernacle of the tent of the congregation. And so we come here to this altar, this bronze altar, and it would be before the door. This is technically the door, okay? So it would be before the door, but it's the first. But in between it, if you look at verse 8, or I'm sorry, verse 7, and thou shalt set the laver between the tent of the congregation and the altar, and shall put water therein. So the laver comes between the altar and the tent of the congregation and the holy place and so on. So here's number one, the first piece coming through the gate will turn out to be the brazen altar of sacrifice. The second piece will turn out to be the bronze altar. And that comes after the labor. It's between that and the tent of the congregation. That is the order in the outside courtyard. You know, that order tells me something. That as you approach God, yes, there's service as you get inside the sanctuary. There will be service and there will be speaking. There will be communion. Big things are ahead. But that's not where God starts. He starts with cleansing. And the first cleansing he starts with is the cleansing from sin. The cleansing from the stain of our record book. As they would offer to God and worship and so on, they still had to bring a blood sacrifice for sin and so on. And so that's where God starts. Now as you think of the Corinthian letter to the, to the church of God, where we're called, we're the temple of God. Know ye not that you are the temple of God. You know, he teaches a lot of things in that Corinthian letter, doesn't he, 1 Corinthians? The Lord's Supper, huh? the headship of God, the different roles of men and women with the symbol of head covering for the sister, lack of head covering for the man, the plurality of gifts. All kind of things are taught in 1 Corinthians. Church discipline, all kind of things are taught there. You know what the first thing is, though, he brought to the Corinthians? He tells you in that epistle. 1 Corinthians 15, 5, 3 and 5, uh, 3 and 4. 1 Corinthians 15, 3 and 4. He says, For I delivered unto you first of all, that which I also received, how that, I think you know it, Christ died for our sins, according to the Scriptures, and was buried and rose again the third day, 
according to the Scriptures. The first thing he ever brought them, he said, I determined not to know anything among you save Jesus Christ and him crucified. The, the, the Savior who died for sins, sin must be put away in the eyes of a holy God. It must be forgiven. And the first thing he ever brought to the city of Corinth was not Judeo-Christian living, was not conservative politics, was not wisdom on how to live, was not the Lord's Supper, as important as that is, was not even headship, as important as that is. I delivered unto you, first of all, how that Christ died for our sins. And it's right here at the tabernacle. What is God interested in first? Well, first in the approach to God, my sins must be covered. My sins must be forgiven. My sins must be cleansed. That's what the first piece is involved in. More happens there also. But, uh, and so that's the first thing as you come through the gate. You, you, you don't run into a communion table, a praise team. You say, that will attract the people. Why start with something uh, that has blood on it and has flies around it? That's not user-friendly. Well, it might not be user-friendly. It's where God has to start. That our sin, We must be saved. We can't approach God. In our sins, it separates from God. And so seeing an example of that, Let's look at the parable first and go to uh, Leviticus chapter 4, please. Leviticus chapter 4. We'll take a closer look here at uh, the altar here. First thing you'd run into is this blood-stained altar with its four horns, and that's the order God set it up. And if you go to Leviticus chapter 4, And we have an example of somebody sinning in Israel's economy. A Jewish person sins. What do they do when they sin? Well, we'll see here. Uh, you come to verse 27. We're in Leviticus chapter 4 and verse 27. Leviticus 4, verse 27. And if any one of the common people sin through ignorance, while he doeth somewhat against any of the commandments of the Lord, concerning things which ought not to be done and be guilty... So here's a common person, he sins, even though it was ignorant, ignorance is no excuse, it comes to his knowledge eventually, and he is guilty. So what does he do about this sin before a holy God? He just say, well, God is love, I don't have to worry about it. That's not what he does. Uh, uh, he just come and say, God, I'm sorry, I'll never do it again. No. Look what happens here, verse tw uh, 28. Or if his sin which he hath sinned come to his knowledge, and he shall bring his offering a kid of the goats, a female without blemish, for a sin which he has sinned. And so as he approaches and comes through that gate, he brings his offering. In this particular case, it's going to be a sin offering. So, so he brings a sin offering, and it has to be, in this case, it was a, uh, a female goat, and uh, it had to be without blemish, as we saw. So he not only had to bring an offering, he had to bring a perfect offering. He had to bring a perfect offering. Couldn't have a broken leg, couldn't have a sore, couldn't have a blind eye. It had to be, God is holy. It had to be the best for God. In fact, Leviticus 22:21 says, it shall be perfect to be accepted. So it's just not a blood sacrifice God wants. It's a perfect blood sacrifice. You know, there's a lot of people that die every day, isn't there? Why doesn't that take away our sins? Because we all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Nobody's perfect. It's not accepted. It's tainted. It's not accepted by God. There's only one person who ever walked this earth that's perfect, the Son of God. In Him was no sin. You know? He was manifest to take away our sin, and in Him is no sin, 1 John 3, 5. And so that's why He can be the only Savior. 
That's why his blood counts as a substitutionary sacrifice, for it was holy blood, it was perfect blood. No man can offer us, people shed blood every day. It doesn't take away anybody's sin unless it's perfect. So God's showing, yes, I do want a blood sacrifice, but not any blood sacrifice. It shall be perfect to be accepted. It had to be without blemish. So, so you bring this offering to God. You bring this perfect lamb. Uh, you say, here's a, here's a perfect offering. That's not good enough either, okay? A lot of people say, yes, I believe the teachings of Christ. He was perfectly compassionate, and I follow his teachings. There's more for forgiveness of sins. So, so look here at verse 29. Verse 29. Leviticus 4, verse 29. And he shall lay his hand upon the head of the sin offering and slay the sin offering in the place of the burnt offering. And so he lays his hand upon it. I think that might be illustrated here. Yeah, kind of. Uh, it's, it's, he lays it on the head here. Identification. What's going to happen to this animal is my fault. My sin is going to be put on someone else. I'm the reason it's dying. You know, as I was teaching the tabernacle truths of the gospel a few years ago in New Jersey, a lady from Pita came up to me, you know, and she, she was nice. And she said, uh, she says, you know, this whole thing confuses me. She says, you're talking about God demanded these animal sacrifices. And these, this innocent animal who never hurt anybody had to die. She said, I have trouble accepting the God. It doesn't seem fair. And I prayed for wisdom. I said, ma'am, whatever her name was, I said, you know, you're absolutely right. It, it just wasn't fair. There's nothing fair about it. I said, but that's the exact lesson God wants you to learn, that there's nothing fair that his son would have to die for you. You're the sinner, he's not. And God's showing you that something innocent who doesn't do, has to be the answer, and there's nothing fair about it. And she says, you know, I've never looked at it that way before. I don't know what happened, but she didn't leave angry. She just said that that's something to look at. And... Uh, so we have laying the hand on, I am personally responsible. Uh, the Son of God who loved me, Paul says, and gave himself for me and so on. And so there's this identification, but more than that, again looking at verse uh, 29. And he shall lay his hand upon the head of the sin offering and slay the sin offering in place of the burnt offering. <laughs> and now he has to kill it. There's bloodshed. It's a gory thing. Most of our kids are sanitized from this type of death that aren't in an agricultural society. But, but here is the bloodshed. Sin is offensive to God. And without shedding of blood, there is no remission. You know? Hebrews 9.22. The, the wages of sin is death. Romans 6.23. And, and so they had to witness a death and hear this innocent animal that the blood would pour out of it. This is what God, this is the price of sin. And they would see that happen. Someone would have to die my hands on him. It's my fault. It's my fault. Well, then this would happen as you read verse 30. It says, And the priest shall take of the blood thereof with his finger and put it upon the horns of the altar of the burnt offering and shall pour out all the blood thereof at the bottom of the altar. And so the priest now takes the blood from that particular sacrifice and puts some of it on the four horns. There were the four corners of the altar, and then he put the rest at the bottom of the altar and so on, and he would bring the blood. The blood had to end up at the altar, for the altar is the place of sacrifice. The altar is a picture of the cross. Our Lord Jesus sacrificed himself, didn't he? And shed his blood on the cross. And it was applied to the four horns. You know, uh, uh, horns, 
one of those symbols in the Bible, it's a parable, remember, and, and it conveys power. Animals with horns convey, convey powers. You used to have a football team here in Los Angeles. They called it the Rams, right? You know, they had horns, powerful, you know. Nobody ever named their team the Los Angeles Lambs, you know. But, but, but there's something with horns, you know, yeah. or the Rams, you know, and now they're out in, where are they at in St. Louis? Uh, there they are. And uh, uh, horns convey power. And what is happening here? That blood is put on the horns, which is conveying, uh, theologians will speak of the efficacy of the blood of Christ. You know what they mean by efficacy? It's effective. It has power to remove sin. And when we get to the New Testament, you know what we're told that cleanses us from our sin? I know you do. 1 John 1, 7. The blood of Jesus Christ, His Son, cleanses us from all sin. You talk about efficacious, effective, powerful. It can remove every single charge from your record book. It's powerful. So God, uh, one of the places He put it for the sin offering was on the horn saying there's power in the blood. We write hymns. There's power in the blood, and there is, to make you clean before the Lord. And then it had to come to the altar. You know, as Leviticus 17.11 says, uh, I have given it to you upon the altar to make atonement for your souls. It is the blood that maketh the atonement for your souls. Sin does not need penance. It does not need more good works. It does not need church attendance. It needs the blood. It's offensive in God's eyes. It needs the violence, the cataclysm of death. And that's why that animal had to die. And that's why his son had to die. Christ died for our sins. Well, then look what happens in verse 31. Verse 31. And he shall take away all the fat thereof as the fat is taken from off the sacrifice and peace offerings, and the priest shall burn it upon the altar for a sweet savor unto the Lord, and the priest shall make an atonement for him, and it shall be forgiven him. That is how you got your sin forgiven. I'll go backwards here for a minute. You had to bring that lamb and Lay your hand on him. Identification. That's repentance in the Bible. I'm the reason. Then acknowledging the death of Christ. It was for my, Christ died for me. That's when I got saved, when I realized he died for me. My sins are gone. And then the priest brought it to the altar. You didn't bring it to the altar. You needed a holy man, an intercessor. And he would bring it to the altar before the Lord. And the last phrase of verse 31 was, it shall be forgiven him. So you got your sin forgiven. In those days, one at a time. Uh, it shall be forgiven him. Off your record book, what a picture of the reality of the gospel of Christ. You know Acts 13, 38, that through this man, that is Jesus Christ, is preached unto you the forgiveness of sins. It forgives your sins. In whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of His grace, Ephesians 1.7. It's a gospel that doesn't say, I'll change your life, I'll make your marriage better, I'll make you richer. The first promise of the gospel is the forgiveness of sins. It has to start there. That you have to be clean from all your sins before the Lord, and it's the blood of Jesus Christ that does that. So this simply takes us to the one who is now called the Lamb of God, the Lord Jesus, which taketh away the sin of the world. This is just a picture, but the reality of all this here, is fulfilled in the death and cross-sacrifice of Christ. That's where you have to start with God. I delivered unto you, first of all, how that Christ died for our sins. That's the message we must take to the unsaved first. Uh, not, not different messages of how to live and this and that. There's places for that message, but not in the beginning. 
There has to be the repentance of sin, the acknowledgement of sin, the looking to Christ, and it shall be forgiven you. So that's where we start. That's all I'm going to say on the altar. I mean, we could spend a whole session on one of these pieces, okay, the whole weekend, but we're not. We want to cover the whole, unless you have comments. So I'm going to open it up for comments or questions, brothers. Yeah. Yeah. Was the animal ever to be tied to bind a sacrifice with cords? One of the verses tell us in the Bible. Who has their uh, little computer out? Yes, brother. Now that's that's true. That's just a a parable picture to help us grasp it. Uh, uh, the yeah, and these type of sacrifices it would be. Now, the only one where the whole carcass was put on was the burnt offering, but it was skin. The skin came off, but the whole carcass of the burnt offering was put on, but not of the sin offering. That's simply shown that it had to pass through the fire. It's not a perfect rendition. Uh, does somebody look up real fast? Bind the, uh, I just want to deal with that verse uh, as a general verse here. But uh, in bringing these sacrifices, there's no record that they actually tied the animal to the horns. Uh, parts of that sacrifice would go on the fire, even with the sin offering. But never did you just put the whole carcass with the skin on it. The closest that came to it was the burnt offering. The whole thing was put on, but it was skinless. What's the verse? Uh, 118.27, okay? You're kind enough to read it. Okay, so you have that verse, bind the sacrifice with corns, cords to the horns of the altar. Uh, there's no instruction given that was done, how it was done. Many look at that phrase as it's just the animals associated with it, it's locked into the altar. Do you have further comment on the verse he just read, brother, bind the sacrifice with cords to the horn of the altar? No, I don't have any further comment other than it's there. It's not actually in the instructions as we read the tabernacle, but it comes in Psalm 118. Brother Al, you have something on that? Oh, okay, brother again. Okay. In the King James, the tent of the congregation, which you have the tent of the meeting, uh, let me go backwards here for a second. This is the, according to Exodus 29, this is the tent of the congregation. This is where they congregated. They congregated out here, but this is the actual uh, uh, tent. This is not a tent here. This is open. So when it says tent, you have to get to the sanctuary so that the sacrifice does not happen out here. It happens in this area here. Yeah. The, the minute it says tent, you're right here. Okay. Now, th this whole thing has a yard, so when you're in this yard, you're at the tent. Just like when I'm in your backyard, I don't have to be right in your back door, I'm in your backyard. So it would happen in this area, but this area is at the tent. It's not out here. It's at the tent, so you're in this area right here. And we call it the courtyard. Okay, yes, Brother Rich.
you eventually, by the time you reached the temple and they made the long trip, they, if the animal was too big, they wouldn't carry it. They'd buy it, and the money changers got in trouble for doing that inside the temple. Well, yeah, I'd have to be there. Remember, Israel was an agricultural society. Each tribe got an inheritance of land. They were just farmers, okay? Now, that's not to say nobody opened a store once they got in the land or did something else. But yet, just like today, uh, let, let me put it this way. You don't have to live in Detroit to have a car, okay? Uh, you don't have to be a car salesman to have a car. There's a whole lot of ways to get cars. And I'm just theorizing here. Uh, they're an agricultural society, so if you personally didn't have a farm as time went on, uh, somebody did, and you could buy it. You could get it. Well, in the wilderness, when you're in the wilderness, nobody even had their own land. And so they had these animals. It would probably be a communal sharing in the wilderness. But once they got in the land, what the Levites did have is the Bible calls them suburbs. They didn't own the land, but you had to give a portion of your inheritance outside the city part in the country called the suburbs, and they could raise flocks out there. They didn't own the land as an inheritance. We get the word suburbs from that today, places outside the city. It's in the Bible. Uh, so the technicality here, I'm sure there's some communal things here, but how it exactly worked, I don't have details. Brother? Uh, he shall wash in water. The inwards and his legs. The whole inside of the animal is to be to wash the legs in that. And the question was, was it done at the labor or somewhere else? I, I'm guessing. I don't have a thus saith the Lord. The water that's right there is the labor. Okay, uh, That would seem the logical thing. They did have vessels connected with the tabernacle, pots and all that that could hold water. And there's, a, there's things called vessels, and uh, you can move the vessels also. So I, I don't know for sure, but... It wouldn't surprise me if the labor was connected with it. This, some things were not given details. Amazing. It's a, what a procedure there. And they, that's why you had the Levites. They weren't the priests, but they served the priest. And they would be supplying all these things. Yeah. Well, we'll move on here, brothers uh, and sisters. Uh, you see, a, while it begins with the altar, it does not stop with the altar. And while God's gospel begins with the cross, there's power, there's more to it than just what happened at the cross. And so we want to go to this second piece of furniture out here in the courtyard called the laver, from which we get our word lavatory. We'll jump ahead now. And we're back to uh, uh, here you see it again. And then we'll give you this cutaway view again. And uh, you'll see it a little more clearly here. Number two, it's the second piece. It comes between the altar and the tent of the congregation. It's right here. 
And it's for the priest here. And you have this laver here. It's a basin of water. No animal will ever be put on it. It'll never see a drop of blood. But it has to do with cleansing. But cleansing by water. Not the record of your sins. Not the removal of sin, but the removal of dirt in the physical way. The removal of sand and of germs and so on. And so the priest were to stop here daily. Now, later on today, I'm going to say something else that happened here. But just for now, it would provide daily cleansing of the priest so they could walk into the holy place to do the service of God. And so they could come to the altar to offer sacrifices to God. To serve God, they had to be clean from daily dirt. And God provided something for that cleansing to make them presentable, to put a foot inside the holy place and accomplish the service of God, teaches Hebrews 9.6. And that was a basin of water called the laver. So we have the parable instructions here in chapter 30 of uh, uh, Exodus. Exodus chapter 30, please. So there's a double type of cleansing. There's a cleansing by blood, which has to do with your sin and your guilt and your judgment. And there's a cleansing by water, which has to do with your lifestyle, the daily dirt and habits of a life. That God's gospel not only forgives, God's gospel changes. Uh, changes the person. I, I requote that verse in Psalm 119, verse 9. Wherewithal shall a young man cleanse his way? By trusting the blood, that's not what it says. By taking heed thereto according to thy word. And so while the altar will take us to the blood of Christ, the water will take us to the word of God. And its ability to transform, to renew the mind from the habits of the world, from the corruption of the world, from the thinking of the world, so that we become more like Christ. So we come to a cleansing now, a cleansing by water, and it brings us to the laver here which would have a foot to it for the priest's feet, and it would have a basin for the priest's hands. And they would stop daily. When they would stop daily, they would not take a whole bath. I'll talk about their bath later today, okay, uh, Lord willing. But there was a daily stoppage, and I have you in chapter 30 here. And let's just read it in verse 17. Exodus 30 and verse 17. And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Thou shalt also make a laver of brass, and his foot also of brass, to wash withal. And thou shalt put it between the tabernacle of the congregation and the altar. And thou shalt put water therein. So there it is, uh, between the altar and the tabernacle of the congregation, or the tent of the congregation, right where you see it. And you're not to put blood in it, you're to put water in it. Verse 19. For Aaron and his sons shall wash their hands and their feet thereat. Aaron, the high priest, his sons, the regular priest. They will wash their hands and feet. Verse 20. When they go into the tabernacle of the congregation, they shall wash with water that they die not, or when they come near to the altar to minister, to burn offering made by fire unto the Lord. So when they minister to God, they offered to God, or they went inside the tabernacle to do the service of God, they had to be presentable. God is holy. And now they needed that daily dirt washed off their hands and their feet. And so, verse 21, this isn't forgiveness of sins here, this is the removal of the dirt, verse 21. So they shall wash their hands and their feet, that they die not, and it shall be a statute to ever, uh, forever to them, even throughout him and to his seed throughout their generations. 
And so we see the purpose of the laver was to remove the defilement from their hands and from their feet on a daily basis to make them presentable for serving God. And later on we're going to have much more to say about that, but just to say this for now. A cleansing by blood and a cleansing by water. When you get to the New Testament, I've already talked about the cleansing by blood. huh? The blood of Jesus Christ, His Son, cleanses us from all sin. You know, 1 John 1, 7. Or Romans 5, 9. Much more than being now justified by His blood, we shall be saved from wrath through Him. I'm saved from judgment, justified by His blood. Does your gospel also deal with our lifestyle? Here's another picture of the labor. The foot for the feet, the basin for the hands, and here it shows the activity of a priest washing his feet and so on. A daily cleansing. Well, we do read of a washing by water in the Word of God. Go with me to Ephesians chapter 5. Let's go to the reality now. The book of Ephesians chapter 5. And a very famous verse here. Some brother read nice and loud, please. Verse 25. Ephesians 5 and verse 25. Okay, I'll jump to this slide here. That's the cross. Christ loved the church and gave himself for her. There's the altar. Christ died for our sins. But now somebody read verse 26, please. That he might sanctify and cleanse her, not with blood here, with the washing of water by the Word. One way the Word does that is there's a positional sanctification also. It pronounces us clean. That's not a feeling that I'm clean. Based on Christ, God pronounces you clean. Uh, he'll say, for example, and the Lord said in John 15.3, John 15.3, Now ye are clean through the Word that I have spoken unto you. Now you are clean. Through the word. Wherewithal shall a young man cleanse his way? By taking heed thereto to thy word, we quoted. So there's an aspect in which the word of God cleanses us. It pronounces us clean, but then daily, as we grow in Christ, it begins to renew our mind. I think you all know Romans 12 too. Uh, be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, that ye may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. We start to learn and know the will of God, but we live in a world that thinks corrupt and different, and we need our mind renewed. And the Word of God, empowered by prayer and the Holy Spirit, begins to transform us. We had a girl in our living room Thursday night before we came here who professed to get saved recently. She was in drugs and everything else. And she, she was saying, I can't believe in the last few months, I just see things happening. I'm thinking different. Uh, as we get into the studies and that, she says, uh, things that I never thought were wrong, I now think are wrong. I'm doing them different. You know what's happening? Her mind's being renewed. And daily as we get in this word and prayer and through the Spirit, uh, a renewal is taking place. The thinking, uh, the, the uh, habits that we once had as unbelievers, we're being transformed into His image. Being renewed. 
And this doesn't happen through the blood of Christ. It happens through the Word of God, empowered by the Spirit and praying in the Spirit as He begins to show you things. And the reason He's doing that is to make you presentable. We just read Ephesians 5.25. Christ loved the church, gave Himself for it. Verse 26, Sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of water by the Word. But now somebody, brother, read verse 27, please. 527. Present it to himself. This is a presentation. And so this gospel, it forgives our sins. It pronounces clean. In fact, in Titus 3.5, it's called the washing of regeneration and the renewing of the Holy Ghost. That's Titus 3.5. Washing of regeneration. Renewing of the Holy Ghost. Uh, it, regener- it gives you a clean standing. It, and then it begins to renew you through the Holy Spirit in your lifestyle. You know, as we come to this labor again here, as we go backwards... Use this picture. You know, if they wanted to get the dirt, what do you think they did? You think the priests just walked by and dipped their finger in it? Washed their hands and washed their feet. How do we treat this Word of God? Huh? Do we just, well, a little devotion in the morning, we're running out the door, or do we spend time sometime during the day meditating and applying it and letting it renew our mind? Huh? Uh, the more you do that, the, the, the more dirt it removes. It doesn't remove your sin. The labor never removes sin and your guilt. But it does make you presentable for the service of God. It does make you presentable to the use of God, the renewing of the mind. And so we have a cleansing by water, or blood, and a cleansing by water. One deals with my offenses, my sins. The other deals with my way, my lifestyle, and to make me presentable for God himself. And the gospel does both. The gospel does both. Now I have something more to say in the closing minutes on this order uh, before lunch. But I'm going to open it up now. That's all I'm saying on the labor for now per se. And, but the brothers might have something to say on the labor ministry here. So we'll open it up for a minute or two. Brother David. Women's mirrors, right? Women's mirrors. And so they say as you looked at that labor, because that would be a polished thing that would show the woman's reflection, they could see their reflection in it, many believe. And you can see the dirt and so on. And uh, the Word of God reveals to us, doesn't it? It's light. Yeah. Women's mirrors it was made out of. Brass women's mirrors. Anybody else? You fellows ask me questions that I have to be there to know it. <laughs> Tough questions, man. I've got more questions I can't answer here. But, uh, but I'll tell you a story. The answer is I don't know. Okay. I don't know the source of the water. Uh, in the desert, that'd be a good question. When they got into promised land, uh, there, there's water available. But uh, I did a Bible study years ago in New York. This is over 25 years ago. A young fellow came that night. He was invited. And he, was, he turned out to be saved, but he was just barely saved. That's all he knew, okay? Mixed up in charismatic, everything else. And uh, he asked me a question that night. And uh, I said, I don't know. I said, well, try to find out, but I just don't know. And then we went on to teach and so on. <laughs> yeah, that's right. There was no faucet. It would have to be carried. There's probably where the Levites come in. That's exactly right. And on that young fellow, anyway, I answered him the same way I answered you. I said, I don't know. 
And uh, years later, I mean, he came alive in the Word. He came into the assembly, saw the truth, married a girl there, went on well for the Lord. He traveled with me preaching one day. And he says, this is about 20 years later. He says, brother, that first study, he said, you, you know, it's what you said that night that made me want to come into the assemblies and come back for the Bible. I said, oh, brother, you remember my seven points. He said, wasn't that, brother? You said, I don't know. I said, you mean my ignorance convinced you? <laughs> he said, yeah. He said, the minute you said, I don't know. He said, I, I knew I was dealing with people who were honest. They weren't afraid. You know, I got answers from people I knew were wrong, but they had to look right. He said, I knew I could trust people like that. I, praise the Lord. You know, it never occurred to me. It was my ignorance. He said, it got him back. So, but anyway, I don't know, brother, but you're right. There were no faucets. And so there comes in this Levitical service, people having to get the water there, service for God. And how do people get the water of the Word today? I mean, uh, there's teachers and there's, pre and there's the body of Christ, and you witness to people and you talk to people. So we're involved in getting this water to people today. Thank you, brother. Thank you. Now, anybody else before we move on here? Yes, brother? Was Yeah, when you got to the temple, brother, when the tabernacle was replaced by the temple, the laver was, there was only one laver, but it was so big, it was called a sea. And all those gallons of water, and it would be a great service, you're right. In the beginning, it wasn't so big, but it would be later. It would be later. They would change the name to the sea. <laughs> okay. Yes, brother. Yes. And then the cleansing of the way. Yes. And it looks like we're coming to a door where we're going to be looking at We're going to be ministering to God, the service of God. And I think sometimes we see this process get a little mixed up in a practical sense where they'll, we'll see people get saved and they'll go right into service without really a way being cleansed. And, yeah. and we use service as a rehabilitation program. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, there, there, is an, there is an order here. And so, in fact, I'm, that's going to lead me to my final thought here, the order. I'm going to switch to the shuffle uh, presentation here. Uh, let's see if I do it successfully here. I just want to close with this order our brother mentioned. It's essential to the gospel. Okay? And essential to understanding how to deal with people and so on. So just give me a second to do something here. I'm actually starting on number six, brother. You're welcome. We got an elaborate setup here. We're doing two things at once. He's doing something as I do it. So, yeah. And the plan is that when somebody watches these on the, uh, is it the internet? Is that the way? They would actually see the slides. Is the way this is happening here. So that's why he is syncing with me. So, so we're, we're back to this simple picture of God's order. The, the, the uh, altar came first, cleansing of sin. The laver came second before entering into the sanctuary, the service of God, uh, the, the washing of the dirt uh, from the hands and the feet and so on. Now, just going to go through this quickly here in our closing minutes. If you came to that front gate and the first thing you saw there was this, what would that tell you about God? That's a different parable. 
I've walked in religious places. That's the first thing they talk to you about. And you see the TV religious shows and that, which says, God's after my money. That's not what he put there. Yeah, there was a place for tithing. That's not what it's, what's at the gate, though. Or if he put the Davidic praise team there, you said, that, that will get more people. You know, that, that might get more people. It's not bloodstained. That's not what comes first. That's not what comes first. Or even the candlestick. Well, I need light. I need to be convinced on the errors of evolution and that. That's not what comes first. The altar of sacrifice comes first. I need communion. I, 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 sacraments, the religion calls them. Uh, the communion. That's not where God starts with His people. It doesn't start with the golden altar of incense, which we'll see has to do with prayers when we get there. Well, you know, you come and pray with us. Uh, it's not like this. Some people think God's courtyard is like this. And you know what that would say? It just doesn't matter. You just come. Uh, there's nothing to deal with. He just loves everybody. Everybody comes. Though there's an altar of sacrifice, you must bring an animal, lay your hand on it. The priest had to stop at the labor. You say, God is grace, and sometimes that grace is perverted, and they present a gospel like this that anybody, everybody's saved. Okay? What if the courtyard looked like this? There was only a labor. You think there's religious message like that? You just clean up your act. You just do these rules. You just don't do this, and you'll make it. Why? Well, what if it was like this? There's only an altar. You get saved, and God is not a God of a legalistic God. We're not going to judge what you do after, as you were saying. It doesn't matter how you live. Uh, he just forgives you. Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? You know, that's the question of Romans 6.1. God forbid was the answer. Uh, but what if it looked like this? This is more subtle. You got both pieces now, but they're in the wrong order. You know, order is essential. You have a phone number that has seven digits. If I get the order wrong, I get a wrong number. I can have the exact same seven numbers, but in the wrong order. Okay. Uh, what if it's the laver first and the altar second? You know what that gospel would say? It's all around you here in California. It's out around me in Oregon. It's everywhere I travel. You do this. and don't, You clean up your act. And if you do it good enough, he'll take away your sins. That's all, people trusting themselves. And, and so they start with this. And then if they're successful... He'll take away their sins as a reward. It's all over the place. One of the most conservative commentators on Fox News, that's his gospel. He wrote in his book, you know, he said, if I do enough good and I, I learn from Christ not to do evil, then, I, then he'll, he'll not judge me upon my death. He, he's following this gospel right here. It's all, it's all around. The simple order that even children can take it in is right here. Sins have to be dealt with first. I delivered unto you first of all, which I also received, how that Christ died for our sins. Christ crucified. We must be saved. We must repent and come by faith to Christ. But it doesn't stop there. We then get involved in the Word through the Spirit and prayer, and He does change our lifestyle. There is water. He does equip us for service. Uh, that's why He saves us, we'll see. Uh, but this comes after this. This makes you, uh, gives you the right to, to approach here and so on. And so uh, there is the order of God's gospel, and we'll just close with this slide right here, back to that order. Uh, any closing comments before our lunch break? Well, when we come back this afternoon, we still have two sessions left this afternoon after lunch, and we'll now uh, see how we can enter the holy place, go into that a little more, and look at the second big thing. We're going to go from cleansing to consecration, from sacrifice to the service of God. What is the service of God? So I want to serve God. It could be 
a bunch of different things of different people. What will be the lesson from the parable of the tabernacle? So we'll find ourselves this afternoon in the holy place and maybe even the holiest. If we don't get to the holiest tonight, we do have tomorrow, Lord willing. And uh, so, or today, I should say, not tonight. 